Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by award-winning dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita, and let's begin. And welcome to episode 10 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and food peace promoter. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you're well. I am excited to be at episode 10, so thank you so much, listeners, for supporting the show. And today we're going to be talking about a very important and trendy kind of topic, and it has to do with being clean or dirty. Has anyone ever asked if you're a clean eater? And as a dietitian, I have to say, it's a question I get very often. You know, when people ask me what I do for a living, sometimes I kind of hesitate to tell them what I actually do because there are lots of implications that come with it. Like I'm this like supreme healthy eater all the time, or I'm going to be judging their food choices. And, you know, if I could really help them understand what I do before they walk away, I hope they can comprehend that that's not what we dietitians do. But Whenever someone asks, after I tell them that I'm a dietitian, if they ask I'm, if I'm a clean eater, I usually say, well, what, what do you mean if I'm not? Does that mean I'm dirty? Um, I know I can be kind of a jackass sometimes, but really the clean eating concept is one that really gets under my skin because it has so many moral, judgmental 
um, implications with it. And if someone is choosing to eat in a clean way, those of us who may have an occasional dose of high fructose corn syrup or trans fat, does that mean that we are not, um, we're being bad basically, and we're morally choosing the wrong choice and food in my, you know, way of looking at it is not a moral failure. It's not something that helps us get closer to heaven or closer to hell. It's something that is a function of being alive and being human. And also there's a part of food that is more than just nutrients. Food is also a great connector. So this letter you're going to be hearing today is from someone who has been exploring a a lifestyle with food to become more narrow because of concerns with certain additives. And that was all fine and dandy until this letter writer experienced um, the holidays visiting family and couldn't practice in the same way. And that became quite stressful and eye-opening for the letter writer. So let's go ahead and read the letter and we'll just dive in and explore and maybe we'll find out we're all just dirty. I don't know. Dear Fu, you torture me. I dread you. I can't stop thinking about you. I obsess over you. We are in the midst of the holidays and I don't know how to survive. Here's the thing. I eat only healthy food. I don't eat sugar or anything processed. I only eat clean and refuse to fuel my body with unnatural things like gluten or high fructose corn syrup. I enjoy cooking for my family, so it's easy to eat only these foods. We don't eat out. And it seems like eating this way helps me feel sane and calm. I traveled a few states away over Thanksgiving and had to not cook for a few days. I spent hours making food lists to pack and researching restaurants that agree with my eating style. When we arrived at my family home, I was shocked with how hard it was not being in control of my food. I felt paralyzed before each meal. I'd suggest restaurants or dishes to prepare, yet it fell on deaf ears. Everyone wanted Thanksgiving-type food, turkey, stuffing, green bean casserole, sweet potatoes, three different desserts. There was nothing clean and hardly none were gluten-free. I ate turkey, it wasn't organic, and salad. I held back tears the whole meal. My anxiety was through the roof. We have a tradition of going around the table and saying what we are grateful for, and all I could think about was guilt for eating non-organic turkey. I still feel it a week later. Now, another holiday awaits. We celebrate Christmas and we'll be traveling again. Instead of getting in the Christmas spirit, I am making more food lists, more prep, and trying to figure a way out of going. I'm actually praying I will be too sick to go. I realize this is not normal. Anything is better, though, than having to sit with the possibility to not eat clean again. It just racks my brain with guilt. Help me get through the holidays, food. Help me to get through any types of eating experiences with my family. I want to enjoy these times, yet I don't know how I will ever do this again with all these food rolls. Sincerely, Guilty Clean Eater. I want you to enjoy eating again too, Guilty Clean Eater. I think that is so very important 
to your quality of life and your health. I do think food has really taken up way too much headspace, way more than it deserves. And, you know, thinking about how food has its roots in things other than just our physical um, body, I think is very important here. There, there's much to say about how food connects us to other people. And when we start to let food get in the way of that, it does affect our health. So much so that when a person walks into my office, um, the, the hallway right after the waiting area, there's a big picture on the wall. And I have a feeling that most clients don't see it, but it's one that we providers see more clearly because it's kind of right where we're looking. And the sign says, the fondest memories are made gathered around the table. This is such an important part of the work I do because I feel like when food does get in the way of connecting with other people, our whole life, our mind, our body, our soul, everything suffers. And I think that that's what's happening with you. I also have a feeling that you may be affected by something called orthorexia. Orthorexia was first described by Dr. Stephen Brotman and his book goes into detail about this newer kind of phenomenon where people describe a relationship with food that has moral and pure and clean kind of adjectives to it and how that can really deeply impact a person's mental functioning. So I would encourage you to look into that. Thinking more about orthorexia and how it affects people I wrote a blog post recently, and it's about reclaiming your power from food, and it's on a website called Recovery Warriors. And I will be sure to put the um, link to that blog post as well as Stephen Brotman's work. And I think you'll find it really eye-opening and really question the way that we in society label food and how it's become this judgmental kind of zone. And... Um, how deeply that's negatively affecting us. So I have a a friend and colleague that I've gotten to know over the last few years who I know works with orthorexia quite a bit. And her name is Jennifer McGurk. And let's give her a call because I think Clean Eater, I think she's someone that will be able to give you even more insight and help you find some solutions and a path for you towards food peace. So let's give Jennifer a call. How are you? Hey, Jennifer. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us on this podcast. And I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about this letter about Guilty Clean Eater. Did you get a chance to read it? Yes, I did read it. Oh, cool. What an amazing letter, huh? Yes. And I, my heart and soul just poured out to this, re- to this person. Um, I definitely feel like she has a messed up relationship with food and there are lots of things that we can do to get her to a better place. Yeah. It's like food has so much power in her life right now. Um, well, you know, what, what's your initial impression with what she's experiencing? 
So I think what she's experiencing is actually fairly common in today's world. And I'm sure you would agree that a lot of emphasis is placed on health. You know, we see health everywhere from blogs to news to, you know, recipes, really honestly, too, to our friends and family talking about weight loss and health and clean eating and the power, I should say, of healthy nutrition. Um, But honestly, I feel like this has gone too far for this person because she's putting her emotions of power and control all into her food. And I feel like that is paralyzing her. Yeah, I agree with you. It definitely is just it has way too much power in her life. It's taking up way too much room. Yeah. 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 So I feel like with her, we have to explore, you know, what would it feel like to have a little bit more peace with food? I feel like she wants it. I feel like she talked about wanting to, you know, have a little bit more balance with food, but I feel like she probably feels so paralyzed. Like, what do I do now? How do I change my relationship? Yeah, like knowing that what she's experiencing for once, like it feels like this is the first time over the holidays where she realized, wait, this is not actually normal. Um, Like she got out of her little like microcosm of the things that she could control with food and realized, wait, this is totally not normal. But something that I could get from reading this too, though, is almost this like shock that, wait, why doesn't everybody else care as much as I do about what they're putting in their mouth. Like, what's wrong with them? You know, it's almost like this yeah. like, experience of like, wait, like what I'm doing is so 100% right on and everybody else has got it wrong. And um, but I, as I say that, I get the sense, too, that she's starting to realize that, wait, this is not this is not good for my body. Yeah. And maybe honestly, too, she's realizing maybe I'm a little wrong. You know, I, I feel like I feel like what she's done is she's taken all of her power and control and really kind of put it into food. And maybe what we can start to do is try to explore other areas of her life where she could take back a little of that power and control and not necessarily have it be all on food. Right. Yeah. That's something that we talk a lot about on this podcast is how how our eating style or just food in general and how we relate, relate to it can be a metaphor for what else is going on in our life. So to this letter writer that I wonder what else could be going on that would make her body and her mind um, really wanting to focus on eating instead of maybe something else, you know, I don't know if that's what you're getting at. Yeah. 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 I would say, I would definitely say so. And it's hard to not, you know, it's hard to talk about that because we don't have her right here in front of us answering these questions back and forth. But I, I would definitely go there if she was my client in my office. Yeah, yeah. Well, so when you work with people who are experiencing this, which I don't know, would you call it like orthorexia or something like that? Yeah, so that that word definitely popped up in my mind. And what I usually do with people is I say, hey, do you know what orthorexia is? And a lot of times people have, well, first of all, a lot of times people really don't have any idea, but they might have a sense of, you know, oh, hey, isn't that like, you know, an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I say orthorexia is not necessarily a full-blown eating disorder, but it's a way of disordered eating. Now, that doesn't, you know, seem, it, it seems kind of a little bit crazy to say eating disorder versus disordered eating. Isn't it the same thing? But it really is a way of making your power and control into your food and not necessarily having that in your personality. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always think of orthorexia, it probably feels just as serious 
And it can mess with a person's life in just as serious a way as an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But it's just like such a newer kind of thing, I don't know, or a new kind of problem that we don't know Uh quite enough about it yet to have it in the diagnostic criteria, you know, the, if, if, if a listener is not aware the the diagnostic criteria book for all mental health um, concerns, there's this really big book called the DSM and it's just not in there yet. So, um, but I feel like our clients that are experiencing this, it feels just as crappy, but yeah, it's, it's probably not affecting their weight. Um, It may not be affecting the same kind of medical issues, but it's, it just looks a little but, different, but yeah, yeah, it still sucks. And I would say it definitely affects their mental health a hundred percent because yes. like this person said, you know, they are really having a hard time going out to eat, not preparing their own food, you know, feeling like just stuck with like what they have to eat or else they're quote unquote bad. Yeah. So I would say the first step maybe in kind of healing from this is to maybe list a reason like pros and cons of eating this way. You know, and we can even talk about that. Like, what are the pros of eating this way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You yeah, know, like, yeah. so you have control, you know, that's definitely a pro, right? Yeah. Feel like, you know, you know exactly what to eat. You don't have to think about it. But then think about all of the cons, you know, like you can't eat with your family. You feel guilty. You're feeling like, you know, almost out of control in a sense, because your thoughts and your emotions are racing around yeah. how, you know, this just isn't realistic. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to do. Because what it comes down to guilty clean eater is that if she wants to continue eating in this style, um, she's gonna have to sacrifice parts of her life. You know, she can't basically travel and hang out with her family and be able to experience really some important things in life, um, a lot of our culture, because of her eating style. So if that's what she's going to want to do, then I think She'll just have to do it. And and obviously, you and I are not going to be rooting for that decision <laughs> to be made yeah, like that. No. But um, I feel like when we do the pro and con thing, I love that because it does. It basically maps it out. You know, if you want to keep having this control experience felt through food, well, then you're going to have to also sit with these negatives, which yeah. it could tear your family apart. Um yeah. Which in and the I, end, she probably does not want that, you know? Oh, no, 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 no. And yeah. I would say probably 95% chance that she's going to see the cons outweigh the pros yeah. in this situation. But if someone like her is just kind of starting out, they might not be there yet. But give them a little bit of time and I'm sure that they'll get there. That they can see how many cons are are right. for this situation. Yeah. Right. And, you know, so what I'm thinking about is like if someone is experiencing orthorexia or something similar to that, just like this letter writer... I would imagine that this is something that's going to not change overnight. Like it's something that probably a person probably has to work through with um, a skilled dietitian like yourself. And it's going to take months to maybe a year or two to really get to the point of feeling safer and calmer around different food choices. So, you know, this letter writer, she wrote to me over um, the holiday. So you know, obviously the holidays are of past, but you know, there's always family trips and different holidays. So what do you, what would you think would be good steps for people to take if they're like newer so, to trying to like heal their relationship with food, yeah. but not done, you know, like what are the I, first few things? I would say probably the first step is proper education. 
And that is really hard to explain to someone that is in like an orthoexia kind of state of mind, because I feel like they're going to maybe like kind of argue back a little bit that like this is the proper way to eat and this is the proper way to, you know, prepare foods and there's certain nutrients that you should have, shouldn't have, et cetera, et cetera. But really when it comes down to it, as a dietitian, we and and we are all usually for a moderation type of balance in your life. And I'm sure you can speak to this too, Julie, that, right. you know, it's actually recommended as part of the dietary guidelines and part of the my plate and, you know, part of all the things that come out of our government to have discretionary calories and to have, you know, this not all or nothing type of mentality when it comes to food. Like there's actually research out there that does say you need, you know, a balance. Right. You need healthy foods just as much as you need unhealthy foods, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. those discretionary calories really are important for someone's meal plan. Right. Well, and I think you and I, what we get to see then is when people get to the point like this letter writer, because they don't use any of those discretionary calories. And sometimes I call those like fun foods. Um, yeah. Yeah. Extra. Like they don't yeah. ever like experience like the pleasurable side of eating. It starts to hurt their health because they're not experiencing like the connections with other people during eating times. And so then they're not eating as much or they're they're just missing core nutrients depending on what type of eating style they're finding that they describe as healthy right now. Um, of course, we see people who end up having like essential fatty acid deficiencies because they cut out all the fat, you know, or something like yeah. that. So, um, and yeah, I think I that's a really good point. Too of energy like a lot of times people that eat this type of way cut out a lot of the carbohydrates and starches in their diet and they can't figure out why they're so moody and they have lots of energy and their sleep is bad and I tell them really honestly that is where the carbs come from like that's what that's what the carbs do for your body they give you that energy that's really important oh I so agree I always tell partners, significant others of uh, people who are in relationships with people with eating disorders or disorder eating. I'm like, you know that the disorder eating is really stronger when there's more moodiness and less sleep, (laughs) you know? So kind of like be the person to help us to navigate maybe like when you first see that, because I do feel like, yeah, when people start cutting out carbs, they end up being super grumpy and their body wakes them up or keeps them from really getting a deep sleep because, their liver just taps out of the glucose to like help, you know, stay alive while they're sleeping. So it wakes it up to yeah. be like, hey, it's time to eat. <laughs> so time to um, eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I always think it, I, carbs are definitely the 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 food type that I, I don't know, right now it seems like people are really attaching to as healthy or not healthy. And yeah. I remember listening to Pam Kelly. She's a dietitian out of Tennessee speak one time and she mentioned that you know how cultures like every culture around the world has a carbohydrate type food as its base and she challenged you know can you name one culture that doesn't eat a carbohydrate and if it's really cool to think about because if you do like think of all these cultural systems there's some kind of carbohydrate food associated as a staple you know we think of yeah. rice in asia potatoes in ireland you know it's like everybody has some kind of carbohydrate so yeah yeah i don't and know my I'm favorite like, pasta, yeah really. yeah exactly <laughs> and so if and i feel like those foods too also not only are they necessary 
you know, especially as, as we dietitians think about the physiology. But since there is such a cultural connection, I feel like that also helps with promoting health in like a more general way outside of just like physical, but also like the mental health, like you mentioned earlier. So something really interesting that I just read, it just, you know, we're taping this in January and something that just came up through my newsfeed and Facebook was a Washington Post article. I don't know if you saw it, Jennifer, but it was basically the headline was kale is not healthy, which of course caught my attention because I can't stand kale. I think it's gross. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I do think people are obsessed with it. Um, If you put like enough like olive oil and olives and feta, then I may eat it, but I probably will eat everything else besides the kale. And uh, But the article basically was talking about a lot of what this letter writer is experiencing. And I'm going to make sure I put in the show notes a link to this article. But what the person interviewed, which I can't remember the person's name, of course, but she was saying that it's kind of coming down to semantics, but we shouldn't really be calling foods healthy or not healthy. She said that we should be calling people healthy, not healthy, and food is nutritious or not nutritious. And, you know, I'm like, that's kind of an interesting way to look at it because, you know, what, yeah, like, what if we stop calling foods healthy or not healthy? What if, yeah, they just have nutrition and, and you and I, we, we have this like way of looking at food that all food has nutrition to give us. Um, you know, the only thing I probably don't put in there is like, super mega diet air food. But, you know, it's also because yeah. I, don't want, I don't want diet companies getting our money. <laughs> but, you know, um, like they get enough of that already. But besides that, I'm like, I just thought that was a really interesting kind of take. And yeah. I wonder for the letter writer, if she even started to reframe some of the way that she's labeling food, and instead looked at her own body and like, well, wait, is my body in a place of health? And especially if she's missing all these food groups and eating eating experiences or times to eat even, I really question whether she's even in a state of, you know, positive health. Yeah, no, and I would probably, I would say no. Yeah. Maybe what she could do too is start to label food as what it really is. Like an apple is an apple. A cookie is a cookie. Milk is milk and yogurt is yogurt. You know, not healthy, not unhealthy, but just calling food by its actual name. When was the last time we you know, really did that in our heads. You know, that's something that I don't think people do a lot, but just to kind of say that all foods can fit. Yeah, I really like that. I feel like that just gets down to a more present mindset because I feel like with an orthorexic type of like thinking pattern with food, it's there's so much anxiety, right? So it's like worried about the future. Oh my gosh, is this food going to kill me? And so by doing what you're saying, Jennifer, it basically brings her back to the present. Like, this is an apple. This is not something that's going to torture me. This is not something that could kill me. It's an apple, you know, like let's bring it back to the present, which I feel like, you know, using work um, on anxiety and it can really help with this kind of eating style. So, or eating experience. Yeah. That's really helpful. Another thing too, that I know she mentioned that I think it's important to bring up is the issues between organic, non-organic, you know, GMOs, pesticides, you know, all those things like clean eating. And I always tell my clients that are struggling with that mentality is that clean eating is washing your food and making sure that it's safe and cooked to the right temperature. Oh, that's so cool. I I love that. 
Yeah, there is no such thing as dirty eating unless your food literally comes from the ground and has dirt on it and you have to wash it. Yeah, I always <laughs> tell people, I'm like, well, if you're a cl- clean eater, I guess I'm a dirty one because I just <laughs> like, does that mean I'm dirty? Like, it's almost like this. There's a there is a side of orthorexia that is so judgmental, like um, yeah. putting on a pedestal kind of experience and a moral judgment. So yeah, like if someone's saying they're a clean eater and you're not eating the same way, there are implications for the rest of us that are quite insulting. So yeah, like the clean eating kind of mentality, it it's definitely rubs me the wrong way for that reason. Because, um, you know, I do appreciate sustainability and I want to protect the environment. And like everything else, there has to be times of balance. And I want to connect with my family. So, you know, I think about the summertime, like the, every summer at some point, my husband comes home with a big old box of those uh, freezer ice things that are like basically, yeah. yeah, like they're like the high fructose corn syrup and food dye frozen. And, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I wouldn't want my kids to like live off of them. And also, you know, he brought it home. It's hot outside it's not going to be something that's going to kill my children. And, you know, I'm only going to give my children things that I feel like are safe for them. And I do believe that's okay. So even though like environmentally, I would prefer not to have that throughout all of our food choices, but you know, it's okay to have that. It's almost like eat your ice pop and go to the farmer's market. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to be absolute. That's another side of it. I think it's a conversation that I sometimes pops up too, is that well, we don't have to be black and white about it, especially with things like veganism. I really appreciate the conversation that I've been hearing at times within the community with vegan eaters is that, you know, if someone wants to move to a more a more plant plant-based way of eating, but veganism just seems too extreme to them, or they probably can't navigate it, or they can't afford to always do it. Um, or maybe they don't have the time to always prepare everything in that kind of way, that they just try to eat um, less meat food or, you know, have more plant-based food and not worry about being black and white with it. I'm like, that's kind of neat. You know, if you want to eat more plants, eat more plants. You don't have to like worry about a label. Like I only eat gluten-free or I only am a clean eater. What if like, if you want to include those foods, that's great. And also like, make sure it doesn't get in the way of your health and doesn't get in the way of your relationships because those are just as important as the foods we eat, if not more, you know? It's funny as a dietitian yeah. to like be saying that, but like I do feel like our relationships are are more important than our food choices, you know. So. Oh yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think that you know, as time goes on, there's going to be more research about that. As the mental, you know, we always think that we study nutrients and we study, you know, the way that things work in our body, and we, you know, can have concrete answers based on that. But I really do think it has a lot more to do with our mental, our mental health and our, you know, emotional side of eating. Yeah, than than ever before. And I think that's only going to get stronger with more time. I agree with you. I agree. And I just hope the conversation continues for sure. And, you know, as we think about the best way to help guilty clean eater, are there any references or resources that you lean towards to help anyone experiencing this? I would say there's a really good book out there called, I think it's called The Power of Normal Eating by Karen, does that sound familiar? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's um, by Karen Koenig. I think, yeah, yeah, The Power of Normal Eating. And I um, read that book many years ago. And I actually think that would be a fabulous book to supplement this letter writer's experiences because she does go through a lot of 
what this woman is struggling with. What, what, tell me what you um, like about the book. I think it just really talks to the reader in terms of why, or in terms of how to let go of some of the things that you can't control and how to, you know, let go of that anxiety and then allow room to come, you know, allow more room for food peace to come in with you. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually put that book on our food peace syllabus, which if you're new to this podcast, the food peace syllabus is a really cool list of a way to supplement your journey towards peace with food. And it's resources that me and the guests kind of come to you with different topic. And um, with this topic of orthorexia, I'm definitely putting this on there because I feel like that is something that this letter writer could even use as she's beginning, you know, because I think about like, what about Valentine's Day or Fourth of July, Memorial Day, like times where people get together in a family or community, and there's going to be foods available that are not fitting her narrow, like, window of choices that she thinks are acceptable, you know, having that as a resource to like, help her feel calmer as she goes into the experience. So then the anxiety is not like taking up all of her headspace, basically. So I'll put that on there. So that's an awesome recommendation. Uh, I also heard Jennifer that you are publishing a book soon. Will you tell me about it? I'm super curious about it. (laughs) I'm so excited. So I wrote my first book called Pursuing Private Practice. It's 10 steps on how to start your own business. It's geared towards therapists and dietitians that want to go into private practice. And the first book really has the first 10 steps that you need to get your business open and running. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's um, pursuingprivatepractice.com is where you can purchase it. And it will be available, I believe, January 27th. Oh, cool. So by the time this podcast is out, it will be out there. So why didn't you have this book like... 10, 15 years ago. It would have saved a lot of mistakes for me. (laughs) The the reason why I decided to write this book is that I found a few resources when I was starting my private practice, but all those resources were seriously 200 pages. And I was just so overwhelmed with with how much was in front of me in those books that I really thought to myself, it would be so great if I had a short, simple reference on literally how to start. And all the links, like, you know, how to get your DBA, how to get an LLC, you know, mm. business insurance, mm-hmm. calendar, medical chart, all of those links are within the book. So they're literally in front of you in a way that is simple and easy to navigate. So I, I'm so excited to share yeah. it with Well, it sounds like it'd be a book that would be like the binding would be all torn up because it, you'd be referencing it a lot, you know, instead of the big <laughs> yeah. one that you're kind of like, oh, too much. I can't, too many details. <laughs> so this would actually yeah. be one that would be referenced all the time. Excellent. Well, I'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes too. And I appreciate your insight tremendously. And I have a feeling Guilty Clean Eater appreciates it too. And maybe, just maybe she's feeling a little bit more at a place of permission to, you know, have fun again with her family and not let food get in the way because, you know, food just does not deserve that kind of power. Exactly. Yeah. And just remember, how does how would it feel to be at peace with food? Yeah. You know, that journey is so worth it. It is so worth it. You're right. Well, take care, Jennifer. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Julie. Have a great day. Thank you. Guilty Clean Eater, I hope you were able to gather some points to start to explore as you face this complicated relationship with food. And I really appreciated Jennifer's discussion because from that, putting together 
the importance of mental health as it impacts our physical health cannot be ignored. We know the mind-body connection is very much a big deal to our physical health. And so even though it may feel like you're doing the right thing and eating something that's not in the categories of the right food may feel wrong or harmful, having such a severe and rigid way of choosing food in the end may be the thing that's promoting poor health. And I know that can be quite disappointing, but I feel like this is something that a lot of people, and I also think our culture is moving toward this because of the assumption that food can either kill us or cure us. And unfortunately, food is just not that black and white and easy to categorize. So food has written you back, Guilty Clean Eater. So I want to hear what food has to say. But until then, I hope you do find peace by using some of these resources and also acknowledging that you didn't do anything wrong. You don't need forgiveness. You didn't break any moral code when you ate foods off of the food choices that were worthy at the time. Rather, you've been given some misinformation. So as you take the steps to explore food peace and what that means for you in your life, I appreciate that's going to and you're going to endure a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to be quite stressful, but although it's going to be really, really hard work, it's going to be really good work and it's going to be worth it. You can trust me on that. So take care. Dear Guilty Clean Eater, as important as food can be, we think you are giving it too much power. Your family and your health deserve more of your time. Pursuing more family connections, even when over non-organic poultry, has meaning and promotes health. We hope you practice naming the food rather than an opinionated category. Any discomfort you experience eating these off-limit foods is not food's fault. It's your narrow way of defining it. Be kind to yourself as you take these next important steps. Love, food. Do you have a complicated relationship with food and want to change? I want to help. Send your dear food letter to lovefoodpodcast at gmail.com. I hope to read about your experiences soon. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Love Food series. Have you enjoyed the show or would you like to give me feedback? I welcome your thoughts. Please give a review in iTunes and subscribe. This type of kindness helps the show continue. You can also tweet me at eatingpermitrd. Take care. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.